welcome back to the station tapes at 21 Soul. Sarah Elizabeth Charles is an internationally alluring vocalist. As a performer, songwriter, and teacher, she's traveled from Hudson to Haiti to Abu Dhabi, bringing light to marginalized communities. Three albums have been released by our band Scope, and she's collaborated with Ajoyo, Transient Beings, and Christian Scott's Stretch Music. Charles is a teaching artist of the musical language, making sure no one is cast out of the global conversation. Ropadope CEO Lewis Marks interviews Sarah about her life as a musician and the role of activism in her journey. All right, welcome to the station tapes on 21 Soul. Today we have the great honor of speaking with Sarah Elizabeth Charles, vocalist, composer, community activist, if I can say so. Sarah has appeared uh, on many Ropado projects from Yassine Valaris and Ajoyo to Ben Rando's albums and worked with Christian Scott Atunde Ajua on the Stretch Music label. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Louis. It's really good to be having this conversation. I feel like this is a uh, this is long a long long overdue. <laughs> it's good that we're doing it. This is one of those things where we know each other, mm. and we have projects that we work together on, and I'm honored to do so. Uh, but uh, we we didn't know I didn't know you well enough. I didn't know about all of the other things that you're involved in. And those are the things that I really want to focus on today. Mm. Um, I use the term community activist. Do you think, is that, actor, is that accurate? You know, um, I, would throw, uh, I would throw like something around teaching artistry in there too. Because um, I feel like my, my activism um, feels, feels more... Um, more like it takes it exists in the space of, of of the classroom or of teaching um more so than than anything else i feel like that's um and maybe that's my own discomfort with i feel like that term is so loaded you know it, calling yourself an activist i definitely mm-hmm. have particular issues that i'm passionate about and that i work um work on within the context of uh of the musical space um um uh but yeah i guess you could throw it maybe it's a uh, teaching artist activist or something would be the correct title. <laughs> we, we, we won't, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it undefined for today. Yeah. You can hear that I hesitated on, on the, on, on saying the word activist um, because it, you know, I think it conjures images of people protesting in the streets and that's not what you're doing or at least most of what you're doing. Let's break down some of it. Um, can I start with this? Cause I noticed uh, a trip to the white house. Yeah, um, yeah, that happened. Um, it was, it was um, in the last year of the Obama administration um, when they were essentially the election was going on, and I think people were looking in um, looking in other directions. So his administration was able to to uh, pass a bunch of uh, criminal justice reform legislation in that last year. That was really um, simple um, in its design um, and extremely important in terms of laying like initial groundwork um, for the ways that that our criminal justice system needs needs to shift. Of course, it's sort of been at a standstill, the reform, I mean, um, since then, unfortunately. Um, yeah, or moving backwards. Um, and that particular event was for um, one of a few uh, criminal justice reform summits that the Obama administration had at the White House. So 
when I, when I call it teaching artist activism, you know, for me, it's always, you know, I'm armed with my, with my music <laughs> and with, uh, with the message that I can communicate and help others communicate via the music as, as a teacher. Um, and so that kind of feels, uh, that particular event, that feels uh, like the space that I'm occupying still um, mm-hmm. and that I've grown into today and back, um, I believe that was in 2016 uh, when we were at the White House. Um, uh, I was with a group called Dakota and they're an affiliate of Carnegie Hall. The work um, that I do, the prison work that I do originated through Carnegie Hall's outreach division. Um, I started um, doing that about six years ago. Uh, and the music that we were performing at the White House that day for the summit was specifically um, coming from Sing Sing Correctional Facility. Musicians that are, were a part of our community at Sing Sing Correctional Facility at the time, um, some of whom have gotten out um, since, uh, since that performance and who we work, still work with on an ongoing basis. I play gigs with a, lo- a lot of those guys still. Um, sure. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. can you, can you, let me, I'd like to back up for those of yeah. us who don't, who don't know. Um, Carnegie Hall has an outreach program at Sing Sing. That we're- yes. So Carnegie Hall has an entire outreach division um, that is devoted to social impact work and programming. Um, so they've, uh, they have been at Sing Sing Correctional Facility. This is our 10th year there. This is as a leader, this is my third, um, third year. Um, as a part of the program, but I've been I've been going there. Um, so performing. describe a day if you could. What 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 is a day going to Sing Sing like? Oh well, um, uh, it's it's interesting that you ask that because when I first started going in, I um, each visit was extremely loaded, and it's interesting how as human beings, as we do things um, more often, um, things become people become a part, a bigger part of our lives. Um, things mm-hmm. become, dare I say, like normalized in a way and not in the way that they should perhaps in this, in this instance. Um, I definitely don't forget that what, you know, where I am is not a normal place. <laughs> and that there are a lot of things that need to need to shift in relationship to the physical space that I'm in when I'm at Sing Sing Correctional Facility, which is a maximum security prison. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we arrive midday for usually I, I lead the afternoon workshop sessions. Um, my counterpart, Matt Moran, is a vibraphonist and a composer, mm-hmm. leads the morning sessions. Um, so usually I'm arriving around noon. Um, it takes us about with anywhere between two and four other artists who are there to lead workshops and master classes that are instrument based or topic based composition, arranging, theory, um, ear training. Uh, and it takes us about an hour to get through security. Um, and from there, we, uh, we go to the school building. We kind of take a little walk down a beautiful hill. Sing Sing is located right on the Hudson River um, in a spot that is perhaps one of the most beautiful spots that you would consider exists on the Hudson Valley. Interesting. Um, it's pretty fascinating and very uh, disorienting um, sometimes when when we are in the school building working on music for two and a half hours or six hours or a whole day, if it's a concert day, and then we leave and we exit the prison and, you know, the gates or the bars close behind us. And there's this beautiful view. Um, uh, And what we talked to a lot of the musicians in the workshop about that too. It's really, um, it's a really interesting location uh, 
for the for the prison. So the contrast um, of, of in inside the prison and outside the prison is cons- very dramatic. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, you get it's interesting because depending on where you are, for instance, in the auditorium where we have a lot of our performances. Um, we, from the stage, there's this big window. And sometimes when it gets too hot, when there are too many people on stage um, and we've been there all day, we'll open that door. And that view from that door is sort of like a, a rolling grass hill and barbed wire and fences leading down to the water. Wow. Um, and, and you can see across, completely across the, the river from that view. And it's so, um, yeah, it's very, uh, so when I first started going in, these types of images, these types of moments were all um, uh, much more loaded because I, I you know, the, the prison system is designed in this country uh, as such that these humans are, these human beings are a, are a forgotten population. You know, I didn't know yeah. that, um, that obviously you don't know a lot of people in the world, um, but it's, it's different when people are uh, intentionally um, uh cast aside and not discussed um, and uh, forced to live in particular conditions um, uh, seeming and seemingly uh, in, in situations where in circumstances where the, the, the crime didn't quite seem to match the, <laughs> the punishment the or perhaps yeah. are, yeah, exactly. Or perhaps in situations where um it's disputable whether the crime happened or involves the, this particular person in the first place. Um, you know, mm. given, and when we're speaking about representation and uh, and socioeconomic factors that that play into the whole process of being convicted of something. Um, are you are you with um, you know? Describe the group of people that are that are going in. Is it it just is it just you and mm-hmm. and some musicians, or you know, are there attorneys and activists you know representatives like what's the yeah you know we're really um again this goes back to that like teaching artist activist term because we really are there to focus on the music um and and to sort of um what's what it's becoming more recently is like you know being able to sort of arm arm ourselves with the music dare i say you know it's like there, there are certain um when guys are coming up for parole for instance their participation in this workshop and the development and growth that um, that many and all of our musicians are sh- are showing. Many have shown, and and we have newer musicians because guys have have started to um, to be released and to come up for parole and get parole. Um, and so we have open slots, and people new people are coming into the workshop. And the growth um, and self directed learning, in addition to the learning that happens when we're physically there, is so great that um, that people are starting to to really consider that in relationship to to parole hearings um which is really exciting because if we can play even a small part in helping a, helping a guy get out um mm-hmm. sooner um uh that feels uh that feels like something um but yeah when we when we go in i say that to say or kind of paint paint that picture to say that um everyone who's there uh for the most part on on each occasion with the exception of um uh, we have Carnegie ad- administrative staff who are mm-hmm. as much a part of our community as any of the musicians. We're really, you know, well known and familiar with the environment, in the environment, and with the environment. Um, and uh, they'll occasionally come in to, you know, take care of you know, paperwork or release forms if there happens to be a media inquiry that we actually uh, that that Carnegie decides to um, 
to follow up with or to go through with, I should say. Um, mm. So it, it just depends. But for the most part, it's, it's other teaching artists like myself who mm-hmm. are going in, um, who are uh, proficient on other instruments, who consider their instruments not to be not to be voice, although we do have some other vocal vocal coaches who are going to be coming in. So these are musicians who are a part of the New York City jazz community. These are musicians who, you know, are a part of uh, uh, my community, Matt's yep. community. Jason Marshall and Willem Delisfort are the other two um, co-lead artists on the project um, who go in um, most frequently along with Matt and myself. Um, and then we have a rotating cast of characters. <laughs> gotcha. Now, of course, we know, we know Matt Moran's name from Slavic soul party uh yeah. over here uh, is describe the population is it a is it a mix uh g- gender wise the, the the people in the the i guess inmates is the right term uh, right um so yeah i mean it's it's interesting because yeah we all have different again when, when people become a part of your life it's sort of like oh okay well how do you refer how do we all just refer to to groups of people um and different uh different men who are incarcerated at Sing Sing correctional have have uh, have shared different viewpoints in relationship to their their feelings around the word inmate. You know, some say like that is the that's the way that's the what that's the most honest way to refer to us mm-hmm. because that's that's what we are. Um, some people uh, we've also discussed the word you know prisoner, which is also used, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which is an interesting conversation to have. Um, for me, for me, neither feel good coming out of my mouth, I, I use, uh, right. I usually just say music, musician in our community. Um, at ah. um, so I, you know, it's a little bit longer. Uh, it takes a few more seconds to say for me, but um, that essentially is, is also reflective of the relationship that I feel I have, um, have with these, with these folks um, because of the environment that, that we've all cultivated together over the past three years or so. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, Go ahead. Sorry, you're touching on on a, a very interesting concept, which I which I I don't think we'll have time to fully cover in this in this uh, broadcast. But and and that is, you know, the the humanizing, and the of of, of the dehumanizing, and then the, and almost rehumanizing of the people um, who are you know cast aside in in another section. Right, you're you're right. describing these people as part of your community. Uh, they were part of a community and still are part of a community, uh, you know, while they're in, in, in the facility. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we like to think of them, I guess the terminology set tends to, tends to be a, a separating terminology and you're, and I think you're saying they're not separate. They're part of your community. Is that accurate? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, I think that part of, uh, part of what I, what I've kind of been pointing to, but I haven't really said exactly yet is that um is you know as i've as i've started to leave the workshop and and as i've gone in more and and i did say this before as as this workshop and this community has just become a part of my life um a really rich and um uh part of my life that i'm really uh that i'm really grateful for and to have been exposed to um i it's just, it's just interesting because I don't, I am no, I am no different. And what's, what I've realized is that given the quote unquote right or wrong set of circumstances in our lives as human beings, we're all, um, we are all capable of all sorts of things. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, it's, it's really interesting to, to people, people kind of will turn their heads a little bit when I say this, but, you know, I've met through this process of working in this workshop, some of the most creative, um, and 
uh, gracious humans that I've, that I've ever been around in my life. And that is, that is, couldn't be more, um, couldn't be more true and couldn't be more real for me, which is also why I keep doing the work because, you know, the teacher, this idea of like teacher student relationship or thinking about the teacher student relationship. And when teachers say, you know, I'm learning just as much <laughs> as any of my students. And, and, you know, you can mm-hmm. kind of like bat your eyes at that or sort of think of that as a cliche idea, but um, that is totally true, um, especially as a teaching artist, I think, because we're not trained teachers necessarily. We learn through experience and we're there to share our artistry um, and, our, and our approach to um, to the creative space and relationship to things that we're creating that are new. Um, and so in, in that space, I've learned so much sharing that um, with folks and also seeing them grow into their own creative um, creative space and retain begin to retain their own creative identity that then they share it's this like cyclical cyclical process um, and it's just so so cool because we've seen the musicianship just especially in the past couple of years really start to um, to grow as we continue awesome. to be able to really yeah really blossom as we continue to focus on the music uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in this game because I am um, uh, fascinated and inspired by the way musicians, artists, creators have a, a community mm. uh, and and over one common thing, the love of music, uh, manage to view the world as inclusive mm. uh, rather than separate. And you're taking it to a whole new level in this sense. I mean, there's the interaction between a performer and an audience, which, which, which is one way of, of including people. Right. Uh, but now you're, you're taking it, you know, across a, 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 an imaginary boundary, really. I mean, it's, it's not the people it's their, it's a particular action that sets their circumstance. It's not who the person is. And I think that we all like to think of, people who have uh, been uh, convicted wrongfully or correctly of a crime as different people right. uh, ra- rather than just part of our community who have uh, a, a regretful action in right. their history. It's fascinating to me. Um, are, are, you, are you doing sort of, so there's a performance, is there one-on-one teaching going on as, as well? I, yeah. I and so with that group of two to four musicians that are, that are there each week, um, uh, we we usually have um, a number of spaces that we can utilize. And so um, we aren't able at this point, we do have a counterpart organization that, that Carnegie, um, Carnegie Hall sort of contracted. So through this outreach division, let me back up for a second, just to kind of give a, a yep. clearer picture of that. Um, Carnegie sort of has this outreach division that is the larger umbrella. And then there are different projects within that context. And Sing Sing Correctional Facility is one of those projects. There's also um, a project that's called the Future Music Project that specifically focuses on youth musical development. Um, there's a digital production class. I co- co-lead the songwriting class with Gene Rowe and Sky Steele. Um, there's a performance ensemble. There's a concert production class. So there, that's one, another sort of rung. There's a project called the Lullaby Project. Um, uh, where uh, artists, teaching artists um, are writing original lullabies with expectant mothers and fathers or mothers and fathers of young 
children in various situations. Um, Carnegie partners with the Department of Homeless Services, um, Rikers Island, um, and various organizations and facilities um, through that project. That was actually the project that I was originally brought in to, to, um, to work within the context of. Um, so, yeah, and, and it, we, I could go on and on, but there's sort mm-hmm. of this overarching umbrella. And on the Sing Sing part of the umbrella, there's also um, this partner organization called Music Cambia um, that was uh, originally founded from students of the Wild Music Institute, which is the outreach division at Carnegie Hall, um, or by those particular students um, to be teaching artists in various situations and lead their own projects with Carnegie's support. Um, and this, this organization has really grown into um, a really uh, a really strong force working both at Sing Sing Correctional Facility and other in other environments. And mm-hmm. uh, so on word that we're at Sing Sing, the Musical Connections Carnegie part of um, this project or division of this project, which includes myself, Matt Moran, William Dallasport, Jason Marshall and other artists, um, is uh, is there on the off weekends every other weekend, and Music Cambia is there on the alternate weekends. Mm-hmm. So, depending on how many folks show up, show up for the workshop, which is usually anywhere between fifteen and thirty people, depending on other circumstances, visits in the prison, other performance opportunities. There are other performance groups, um, you know, tests. People are in, in school. Um, people have other commitments. Um, but on those occasions. Um, it ranges from individual instruction to small instrument-based masterclasses um, instruction on, on our days mostly. Um, I believe on the Music Cambia days, they, they do much more um, individualized instruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas on our days, uh, we usually because of the numbers that we get and the ratio between teaching artists and, um, uh, and musicians in our community there, we, we are doing small instrument-based masterclasses. In addition to composition development, um, uh, also analysis of works um, so that we, we're learning about uh, about different composers that folks seem to be uh, interested in or gravitating toward or that may be uh, coming into Carnegie or performing at Stern Auditorium at Carnegie Hall, perhaps. And so we're using the, those people's works as, um, as inspiration. Um, we have cassette tapes so people are able to do listening. Um, we have arranging workshops, orchestration workshops. Um, mm. Yeah, they're in, in terms of common, it's very it's as comprehensive as it can be. We're gonna we're we're getting there. <laughs> we we've got a lot of work to do, um, and we're already designing next year um, and trying to figure out how we can how we can do what we do better. Um, but yeah, where can people go to learn more about this, and what can people do to support it? That's a really great uh, a really great question um so carnegie just going to carnegie hall dot uh, org um you can learn more about the project we also via that website um uh can or have uh past concerts um that i believe are are on i believe it's a spotify playlist of, of past concerts there are videos as well um that you can see there that date back to uh, way before I led the, the workshop, um, but actually some of those I made cameos in because I, I was a guest artist before I, I was asked to co-lead the project. Um, so yeah, if you go to carnegiehall.org, you can learn more about not only the, the work at Sing Sing, but all of the other work that, um, that the Outreach Division of Carnegie Hall is doing too. Um, yeah, and what can you do? That's a, that's a, a, 
I would say reading about the project <laughs> is something that you can, that's the place that you can start, you know, Carnegie Hall. I'm fortunate, I'm really fortunate as a teaching artist working with this particular organization because um, we definitely have a lot of, a lot of support for, um, for the work that we're doing, which is, um, which is really huge and why we're able to do, we usually have anywhere, you mentioned concerts. So we usually have anywhere between um, uh, three and six concerts a year. Um, uh, whether that's bringing in uh, guest artists who are performing, um, who also, as I mentioned, might be performing at Carnegie Hall in that same during that same season. Um, sometimes uh, we've brought in. I brought in my band Scope um, last year to do a performance, um, uh, and other teaching artists have also brought in their ensembles. Slavic Soul Party was the very first concert that Carnegie Hall ever did. Uh, at Sing Sing Correctional Facility nice. <laughs> um, 10 years ago. So, um, uh, and then there are, there are concerts that also feature the uh, participants in the workshop as well as, um, as visiting artists, musicians um, who are either teaching artists or who we've brought in to sort of fill out the ensemble because somebody wrote a piece and we need bassoon and French horn. So we have the bassoonist and a French horn player, right, right. Uh, you know, so, you know, get the band together. We get the band together. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. currently what we're doing for our, our final concert in June right now. That's really what we're, what we're kind of focusing in on um, during the workshops right now. I want to say that at, at Sarah Elizabeth Charles.com uh, in the teaching artistry section, uh, there, there's some good information, starting information on this. And um, it would seem to me that if there are, um, uh, educators out there uh, who are listening, have a chance to listen to this podcast, um, you know, connecting and understanding this this program uh, as, as a model for something that could be done in other cities and other towns uh, would be an interesting uh, starting point. And I'm sure that uh, they, you know, people can reach out to, to uh, ropeadope.com and connect with you perhaps through that path um it this uh, i've learned so much today what a what a fascinating project i literally had no idea that it existed <laughs> my understanding of of this kind of outreach was you know uh, johnny cash or eddie palmieri going to do a concert you know right. Um, right. and th- and that that's probably i you know what what most people's perception is of what would happen between musicians uh and a correctional facility um, so there's more there and, and there's so much more uh, about you. I'm going to call this part one of, uh, <laughs> some unknown number of conversations that we'll have if you will come back. Um, I, I wanted to, to, to ask you real quickly about rise to shine, uh, and perhaps that can prepave our, our, uh, another full conversation at another time, but I, I was particularly interested in this. Um, be, because of Haiti, which has been much on, you know, in, in our, in our news cycle over here lately. Yeah. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, and I would love by the way, to have more conversations. There's so much more to talk about. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Rise to shine is an organization that I was connected with, uh, in 2013 actually. Um, and it, all, all of this, 
it's interesting because all of the teaching artist work that I do, it's, it all feels like it came about extremely fortuitously. You know, the work with Carnegie Hall, the, the Jazz and Gender Initiative at the New School, Rise to the work with Rise to Shine, you know, all of, all of this has um, sort of seemed like a, I tripped and, and like fell into these things. Um, um, although I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. I think the universe is much more intentional than that. Um, so I'm uh, really it's through like, you. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I'm really just <laughs> again like the gratitude lens. is immense. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I was at a gig at um, the side door in uh, Old Lyme, Connecticut, with my band, and um, the uh, f- the former um, the former Booker there, Jan Mullen, is a board member of this organization called Rise to Shine. And so I'm up there um, and I think playing something with, playing an intro to a, to a song with, uh, with Bernice Earl Travis, the, the bass player in my band. And um, all of a sudden I start singing in Creole. And I see, the, you know, the side door is a small club, so you can see everybody. Um, and Jen is sort of standing in the back by the sound booth and her face sort of tilts to the side. Um, and cause she's, she didn't expect, I don't think me to be singing in a, a Haitian Creole. And after the show, we're all hanging out and having dinner. And, um, she said, you know, what, what was that about? You know, you were singing in, in Creole and Haitian Creole. What, what prompted you to do that? And I told her that my dad was originally from Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Um, and she asked if I'd ever been, I said, no. And she began to tell me about this organization that, uh, that essentially is an organization that focuses on early childhood um, development and child care, but also development and education, very much based in education, although the kids are really, are very young, like this is before preschool. So most of the children are between three and four years old, some five-year-olds as well. Um, So this is, these are uh, kids that live in a town called Fonfrisian, Haiti, Mm -hmm. which is right on the Dominican Republic, Haiti border. Uh, and they, um, most of them have, uh, most of them are from households with single mothers. Um, and one of the, one of the, uh, one of the biggest issues before this organization was founded was that, um, a lot of these children were being watched after by their older siblings who wouldn't be able to continue schooling because they would have to stay home and watch their siblings while their mothers commuted to Port-au-Prince or went to work each day in the Fonfrisian area. Mm-hmm. And after the earthquake, um, Jit Vaitha, who's the founder of this organization, um, had uh, talked to a friend of his who worked for sort of Rise to Shine. Rise to Shine is, is, uh, uh, is not a religious organization. It's not based in any particular faith or sect. Everyone who works with Rise to Shine comes from seemingly, every single person seemingly comes from a different (laughs) um, cultural background, um, which is really fascinating and wonderful. And um, another organization called uh, uh, HCM, the Haitian Christian Mission, um, has been present in uh, Fonfrisian for a really long time and sort of exists as Rise to Shine's uh, older brother or cousin or you know partner organization they've been they've been really uh, really receptive and really generous opening the doors that's where we stay when we go um, to Haiti because it's right um, it's right near where the school is um, so um, we're super we're super grateful for for that particular organization and so Jit asked a buddy of his who was working with HCM you know what does what does von Prezian need 
after the earthquake, you know, I want to, I want to do something, even if it seems small, um, I want to start something. And he said, they need early child, early child care, early childhood care and education. And so he started this, um, this group with 20 kids. There are now, I believe over 50 students um, and kids who are there and circling back to that moment with Jan, she said to me, she said, you know, have you ever thought about, um, uh, early childhood music education and getting into that because she knew that I was teaching private lessons at the time and that I had kind of just started dabbling in in my teaching artistry life and um, she uh, she asked about that. I happened to be at a place called Larchmont Music Academy upstate teaching at the time and um, had been thinking about uh, getting trained um, in kinder music, which is essentially the the design that I ended up bringing to Rise to Shine and um, training, using to train the teachers. And they also trained me (laughs) a lot Mm -hmm. in relationship to the music that they were already teaching. And we really sort of amended that curriculum together and designed it together once uh, after my first visit. Um, But yeah, Jan asked if I was interested in that. I said that I had never been to Haiti and that I really wanted to go and to go as a part of some sort of project um, in addition to performing. And I also that same year ended up getting a call to perform at the Port-au-Prince Jazz Festival. So it was again, all, all very fortuitous feeling. Um, and I've gone uh, one to two times per year each year since then. Um, but the organization in the school is very much functioning uh, as, as a well-oiled uh, machine at this point. And, um, and my, my going at this point is really just to continue to train the teachers so that they can, they can work with, with the kids um, and expand sort of their knowledge of early childhood music education and within the cultural context too. These kids are, you know, we'll do rhythmic exercises and they're, you know, counting rhythms. They're leading the group and counting rhythms in seven. And, you know, it's, it's very, <laughs> really cool, very cool stuff and a very musical, um, uh, just, you know, Haitian people. I grew up, you know, just listening to Kompa while we were cleaning the house and dancing around and watching my dad's feet. And, um, you know, the Haitian people are just, are inherently musical in a way that I feel, uh, I feel was, I didn't have, uh, have uh, access to here or that I didn't experience here growing up in this country. So it's, it's so amazing seeing, seeing kids just embody music in such a natural way there. Beautiful. I, I I often joke that Americans can only count to four, but uh, yeah, exactly <laughs> musically, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. What, what a fascinating conversation. Um, I want to I want to stick with the word activist because the conversation here has has opened up the idea for me that there's a big difference between. Uh, you know, the, the, the contrast that we have of either profit or nonprofit and nonprofit is perceived as some sort of donation or charity when actually it is this kind of active work that is sustaining the world. And I, I think you're so brave for doing all these things. Uh, and I want to, I want to come back again if we can uh, continue the conversation about Haiti because it has not just musical overtones, but political yeah. overtones. Uh, and then, and, and I'd like to hear in our next, uh, our next meet about your path and, and how you got to this. Is that, uh, will you come back? <laughs> I will come back. And I, and I will say to you in relationship to that word, I think, um, I think I have all of these plans. Uh, I have plans about in, or in relationship to how the, how this work can, 
potentially inspire and inform policy and things that actually affect the, of course, music and art is so, it can be so powerful and can give agency to, to people in a way um, that, you know, that policies never, never could, or if, especially if action, if there's enough inaction. Um, right. But I think there's also a way that, that all of this um, can inform uh, and can perhaps change the mind and help to contextualize and humanize, as you said before, um, mm-hmm. uh, these these people who are very much humans, just like any of any of us, just like you and I, um, exactly. and who need all the things that that we need and have aspirations and dreams uh, for themselves and for their kids in the same ways that we do. It's um, it's just I think that's sort of a next, that feels like a next step for me. And maybe I'll be more comfortable with that term once I get, once I get there. But in the meantime, it does, it does feel like I'm just, I'm laying, I'm learning, I'm laying a, a lot of groundwork. Um, and I'm just really, really grateful to, to be doing it. Wonderful. So a reminder to folks who are listening, uh, visit sarahelizabethcharles.com uh, to learn all about Sarah and a reminder, uh, Carnegie Hall has information on, uh, the initiative at uh, Sing Sing and, and other spots. Sarah Elizabeth Charles, thank you so much. Thanks, Louis. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for tuning in to the station tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21 Soul. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google, and wherever else pods are cast. Our video interview series is available on YouTube at Ropadope99, and you can find out more about the artists we speak with at ropadope.com. Thanks to the 21 Soul team, Nick Perry and Steven Yashevsky on production, Larry Yetman on video, and the great Fabian Brown on the creativity and positive energy tip. Our theme song is from Red Hook Soul by saxophonist Michael Blake. You can find out more about Michael Blake at michaelblake.bandcamp.com or on your favorite streaming service. Finally, thanks to all of you who keep the flame burning for independent quality music. To the musicians who pour their creativity into the world and to those of you who are taking the time to listen, we hope you enjoy the show.